Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically, I'm your host Stephanie Preisner and with me in studio today is Debbie Cullinane, child and adolescent psychotherapist. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm delighted. Yeah, I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. I follow you on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle for people listening? It's Debbie Cullinane Debbie underscore. Cullinane. Yes. Yeah. Um, and loving your content about play therapy and I guess we've seen a lot in the news about CAMs and uh, the waiting list for child mental health services. The Minister for Health is obsessed a little bit about the impact of smartphones on children's anxiety. And so I thought it would be good to talk to someone like yourself who's kind of on the front line of it. Um, so talk to us, I guess, about, about what you're seeing and then about the work that you do as a play therapist and how that works to, to help the children meet their needs. Yeah, so I suppose as... A play therapist. So I'm a play therapist and a child and adolescent psychotherapist. So mm-hmm. I work with children from three to 18. And when does it move? Like what age or is it child specific so, about when do you stop kind of playing and start talking more? Still with the teenagers, you'd definitely be doing playing, but it's more a creative psychotherapy element okay. to it. It's not just the non-directive play therapy that I would do mainly with the three to 12 year olds ish. Yeah, But it's dependent on the child as well, because sometimes they might come in and be like, you know, I'm, I'm not going These to are for babies. Babies. Yes, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to be playing. But then inevitably they do play. Yeah. But it's done through all different kind of interventions and modalities within the safety of the therapeutic space of the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm seeing at the moment is all different types from anxiety to school refusal to, you know, then there are obviously the, you know, more complex issues that I would see like eating disorders, mm-hmm. self-harm in adolescence would be a big one that I would have seen a lot of in the mm-hmm. last year. Um, so that is what I work with at the moment. I can't imagine, like I can imagine the the fear of a parent discovering that their child is, you know, is having an eating disorder or is engaged in self-harming behaviours. That panic of like, oh my God, we need, we need someone to fix it. Is it something that you see a positive out, like you can achieve positive outcomes through it? Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They really do come through it. And how I work is very much in collaboration with the parents. I think that's hugely important. So I would see the parents first. Then I would see the child or adolescent for the therapy. Then we would review with the parents. Let's talk about how it would work. Okay, so say I have a Mm five-year-old who is refusing school and is very anxious about, I don't know, things that they see on the news, conscious of making friends, not really wanting to be around people. I think, okay, we need to see someone. So I come into you Mm -hmm. with my husband, let's say, ahead of a session. So she's waiting 
outside or? No. So for how I work is that there's like an intake phase. Okay. Because I think it's really important for me to get a good idea of the family system, what's going on. Yeah. We go right back to in utero, birth, delivery. I want to know everything about the family dynamic, how ye And how do things like the information that you might get about in utero or the delivery inform what's happening with this five-year-old who's anxious? So when things come up in the play, I can then look at it and go, okay, what did that parent tell me about this child's birth delivery? Is this something that was in utero? So it's all kind of neurobiologically informed how we look at it in the different themes. And you could see someone, you know, reliving their birth story through the play, you know, with tunnel play. And it's not always like that, but you could definitely see it where you're like, okay, this is definitely looking like um, playing out a birth, you know, when they're coming through the tunnels. And that's really important work that children can do to try and repair because, you know, when we're born, (laughs) it's quite traumatic. So they do remember it. So not consciously. Not consciously. No. So, you know, the body remembers everything. Mm -hmm. We know that now from so much research. So things like that can come up. So it's really important to have that information. So you'd meet the parents first and kind of get a full history of everything that's going on. Exactly. So it could be one session, depending on the presenting issues, it could be two. And then I'd like to empower and support the parents with any challenging behaviour that might be going on. They might need to get some tools and some strategies to try and help them to manage what's going on in the home. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all that happens first. Sometimes we just do some parent support and do the consultations. They go away, implement the strategies, see can we work together to try and And build a balance And what kind of strategies are those? Is it more like play with your child more, give them more attention or is it like put a bedtime routine in place? Like how varied are the strategies? Yeah, it depends on what's going on. So, do you know, if they're coming to me with something that's really difficult, like if it is a bedtime or if it is the mornings or if it is that your child just is power struggling with you all the time, mm-hmm. I'll give you different tools to put in okay. place then to see, can we make it more playful? Can we come back to enjoying parenting again? Because sometimes it becomes such a struggle, especially as your children get older, because you just feel like, is this what we are? Am I just nagging you to do things? You won't listen to me. This is really hard. And Mm -hmm. it becomes a cycle of arguments and power struggles. And it's really difficult. So it's lovely to be able to just step back and go, okay, let's look at this from a developmental perspective. Let's see where your child is at and meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. So let's lower the expectations for a minute. Let go of all the judgments. Because it's hard as well. It must be hard to be a child to never be able to meet the expectations that are on you. Absolutely. It's really hard. And there are a lot of expectations when you're a child, like even like going to school, sitting still, wearing a uniform, you know. I know. And like this sitting still thing is just not developmentally appropriate of children. You know, mm-hmm. in junior and senior infants, you know, a lot of people are coming to me, he can't sit, he won't focus or he won't sit still at school. That's completely normal yeah. and appropriate. And, you know... Why is it then that some kids do and can? Temperament. Right, okay. Yeah. I think that we pathologise a lot of things. We do. And, like, recently I was at... I have a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um... They are both very different temperaments. Um, they're both a little bit slow to warm up, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, and I was at a football match recently and my little fellow was standing beside me and we were watching the match and there was loads of his friends running around and, you know, doing loads of fun things and being really silly. And one of the dads came up to me and he said, how do you get him to do that? 
And I said, I don't do anything. That's his temperament. temperament. He wants to stand beside me and he wants to watch the match. And from my perspective, when I'm looking at it as a parent, I'm like, oh, I wish he'd go and play. Yes, yeah. I wish he'd go in. He's missing out on this thing. So we're always going, oh, when they're doing something, why aren't they doing that? And we're always judging ourselves and judging our children. But sometimes we just need to sit back. And the most powerful tool that I have found as a parent is reflection. Mm -hmm. So if something's not working in our house or if something's not working in your house let's reflect what can I do differently what can we change so that things change sometimes we get into a cycle of it just going over and over and over again hang on a second I'm the safe and secure adult here how can I change things to see can we get the behaviours to subside yeah in connection with each other. There's so much, I think there's so much pressure on parents as well to have your child behave in a certain way. And when they don't, it seems like a failure on your part, like you're doing something wrong or you're not disciplined enough when actually it's like, hang on a second, how important is it that this child eats this specific meal at the table at this time, you know? I get a lot of people asking me like, how come Rory, because Rory, she just eats very well at the moment. And... Like, how how come she eats so well? And I'm like, well, I think a lot of adults would be picky eaters. If The reason that we aren't picky eaters is because we pick our own food. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone served me dinner every single day, there would definitely be days of the week where I'm like, I don't want that. Yeah. Because I do it myself. I go to Tesco and I buy shopping for the week and then I'm like, I'm going to get takeaway tonight because I don't feel like that dinner. Yeah. And, you know, then people are like, oh, you shouldn't be giving her another option if she doesn't like what you put in front of her. And I'm like, but, she, but why? She doesn't like that thing. I have other options. I'm just going to do that. And maybe it'll lead to issues down the line, but I want—I don't want dinner time to be a stressful situation. Absolutely. You know? And I really think that's the thing as well about it. We need to pick our battles. Mm-hmm. And we'll all have different values and things that we want our yes. family systems to be about. Um, and it is about picking the battles. Because there are going to be enough. And some there of them, are going to how be important enough. is this? And sometimes when we just listen to them, it does work. So can you talk me through like a session of play therapy? You tell me, you pick the age of the child and like what does it look like when they come in and how do you pick the games or what's it like? Perfect. So um, initially for the first session, the parent or parents would attend with the child and we do the story. So the therapeutic touchstone story was created by Eileen Prendeville of the Children's Therapy Centre. And it's basically what the parents have told me. Mm-hmm told back to the child in a very developmentally appropriate way with little figures. So once upon a time, there was a little girl called Stephanie Mm -hmm. and she lived in a house with her mommy and her daddy. And you go through the story Mm -hmm. and you tell them the reasons that they're coming. Okay. Sometimes Stephanie had really big feelings in her body and she shouted and she kicked and she did all sorts of things and it was really hard. You know, and you tell them exactly why they're coming. So that's how the therapy starts off. Like, I know why you're coming. Yeah. Whether it's about holding poos or whatever it is. Yes, yeah. They know that I know. So there's no secrets here. Great. It's all good. We can start off on a level that's up here. So they don't have to tell me anything. And do you do that sort of a story? What age, like, would you do that to a 13-year-old? No, it's dependent. We can do it different ways. Then I'll have the parent in and we might do it in a chatting type way or we yes, might hold okay. an object. So whatever is developmentally exactly. appropriate. Okay. Um, and then for the, like, the teenagers or, you know, the 16, 17, 18-year-olds, you know, they would come in normally with me and I would go through what their parents have told them and say, look, this is what I know. Maybe you need to tell me different things. Yes, (laughs) So we'll go from there. And often they will. They'll be like, no, that's not right. Because we have to remember as well, what parents tell me is their perspective on things. Yes. So they could be thinking something about their teenager and I will bring it up with the teenager and they'll be like, no, 
That's not it at all. at all. Yes, okay. So it's really informative to do that in the first session. So the parents stay for the story or whatever it is. And then normally they leave if the child is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Not always comfortable. So, you know, sometimes they'll need to stay for the first session. And how I work generally for the first six sessions will be non-directively. So that means that it's child-led. So they decide and they choose what they play with. So do you have a room that's got lots of different, so different types of toys? Okay. Yeah. And can you tell so, much about a child based on the toys that they choose? Yes. So we would look at it in themes. Do you know what okay. theme is coming up? Is this control? Is this power? Is this battle? You know, it might be death. It depends on what's coming up through the okay. place. So I would find sand and sand tray play and sand tray therapy really powerful. Okay. Because when we work in the sand, it really brings up our unconscious and our subconscious. So playing with the sand with the figures can show you loads about a child or an adolescent. I love that type of therapy myself. It's okay. really powerful. <laughs> the first time I did it, I cried for about a week. Um, it's it's brilliant. Um, so they decide and I follow their lead. I track their play. Um, we give them what's called unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens within the room, it's accepted. So you want the child to come in and go, you can be whatever way you want to be in here. Mm-hmm. And that's perfectly okay. So and is there... Is there an argument that the home and the parental dyad, like the parental relationship, should contain unconditional positive regard? Or is it different for parents because you have to have boundaries and you're like you're not there to be their therapist, you're there to be their parent and help them to develop? Or should a child feel like no matter what I do in this house, it's fine, it's accepted? Oh, I do think that we need to show our children that no matter what, I love you. Yeah. That's unconditional whether mm-hmm. you're tantruming on the floor or whether you're sitting on my knee giving me cuddles. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And that's what we really want. That's what I want for my children as they grow up to come to me when they've got an issue and go, it doesn't matter what I tell her. Mm-hmm. She's going to accept it and she's going to help me and support me and advise me through it. Okay. You never want them to, be, to have a fear of not wanting to tell you in case. There's tr- implications, yeah. yeah. And so how do you, so say a child has a tantrum during the session mm-hmm. and knocks over the sand and everything goes everywhere and it's absolute chaos. How do you implement unconditional positive regard while also being like, well, you can't really do that? Yeah. So unconditional positive regard doesn't mean that we don't hold limits and boundaries because okay. limits and boundaries are safe. And that's okay. how children feel safe when they do have limits and boundaries. And sometimes they push them to see are they Is safe. Is this safe? Yeah. yeah. So we use an ACT model. Um, it's by Gary Landreth in play therapy and it's basically the A is you acknowledge the feeling and validate the experience so you know I see you're really angry and you really wanted to throw the sand mm-hmm. <sighs> that's hard, that's hard. Yeah. yeah then you communicate the boundary but in a very simple way so whenever I'm working with children or parents I'm always trying to tell people pull back on the language yeah we all over talk everything yeah <laughs> all the time and it can be as stressful for us as it is for them when we're over talking so the sand is not for throwing you know, I will not let you do that. That's not safe. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. But we keep it to like one sentence. Okay. And then whatever the need is, they're showing me. So if it is that they really want to throw this thing, I want to target an alternative for them. So the T is target an alternative. You can throw a ball. You can throw the darts. You can throw this thing as hard as you can. Might get a water balloon. You can smash this water balloon. So let's get that need met because every feeling comes in a cycle. So Mm -hmm. we have a start and we have a middle and we want it to come around to an end. So what inevitably kind of happened to us, well, I'm speaking for myself, I suppose, but generationally it was like, you know, you'll just kind of sit down and you'll be good. And we don't want to hear any of that nonsense. Like, you know, stop crying, you're you're grand. 
But we want them to be able to feel. There's nothing wrong with anger and frustration and disappointment and all of those feelings. They're valid. So we want them to try and be able to get it out. Like being angry is absolutely okay. Throwing something that's not safe is not okay. So it's about them getting it out in a safe Safe way. way. So even with my little girl at home, she will get very angry and... She knows that that's okay to get angry, but she has no tools what to do. So she will go in. She loves squishmallows. So she'll go in and literally scream her head off into, into the, the squishmallow. squishmallow. And myself and my so son, relatable, like. Freddie, we'd be like, I was like, oh, she's, <laughs> she's having, having a big feeling. And she comes out and she's like, oh, I needed that. Like, what age is she? Eight. She's eight. Oh my God. And I mean, the screams, you can still see them, hear them even through the squishmallow. But she knows that she can do that. And if she wasn't getting that out, we are going to see that in different behaviours mm-hmm. throughout the day later on, whether it's anxiety or worry or whatever it is. So it's really good to name them when you see them coming because you'll be very And was that a strategy that child. she came up with or was that you so suggesting? I Yeah, I modelled that for her okay. when I was trying to help her through big feelings, not at the time of the big feeling now. Okay. So we would be so kind of So say she had really big feelings solving. and she was just she screaming, was screaming at everyone. <laughs> Yeah, she was screaming. So when she would calm down, then you'd say... Exactly. And you we're like, to... I get it that it's so hard. And you all you want to do is shout. Yeah. And I get that. But shouting like that is not okay because it's really sore on our ears and it's not, it's not okay, but you can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, same when she was pushing Freddie, you know, your brother is not for pushing, but you can push a cushion. You can whack, a, whack it. You can do yes. all of these things. And of course she still pushes them. But I hold the limit again and again and again and I don't punish her for it. Yes, okay, yeah. So it's really important to remember as well like that, you know, impulse control doesn't come online till children are about four and it still continues like to develop. <laughs> yeah. Honest to God. And it goes offline again when we come in, become teenagers. Yeah. So I blame that for every bad decision I ever made. Um, so like she knows that she's not allowed to hit Freddie. But recently she said to me, Mommy, I know that I'm not supposed to hit him but when he annoys me really bad my hand just goes like this and I was like what a perfect example of impulse control she can't stop it she cannot stop it so like she's not I'm like I get that it's still not okay Yeah, but I get it and she's not punished for it because if I went and punished her for that she would feel so bad about herself Mm -hmm. and you know then it's like you know you don't love me you know you know it's not you you prefer Freddie (laughs) this kind of stuff you know and that so it's you can hold a limit without getting really angry and without shouting you can do it in a way that's safe and do you think that play therapy then so obviously you're a play therapist, so I imagine when you play just on a day-to-day basis with your kids, you don't turn off that switch. But do you think that play therapy, there's a place for it for children who aren't showing issues yet? Like, do you think that all children should have a session with a play therapist? Or do you think that parents knowing kind of how to play with their kids is sufficient? I think knowledge is power for parents. Yes, okay. Yeah, I really do. And like, I don't play with them in a therapeutic way at home mm-hmm. at all. The odd time, if I if they are getting a treat or they want something from me, they'll be like, special time in your playroom. That's okay. exactly what they want. They want that unconditional connection and they want to be in charge. So within the therapeutic space of the playroom, the child is in charge of the playing and I'm in charge of safe and I'm in charge of time. So they love that. They love that power. But you can play that at home with your own child. You call it the bossy boss game. Yeah. You're the boss. 
and I'm, I'm going to do whatever. And they love that power. And it's great. They're if telling you, you ha- what to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's great if you have a child that is struggling with power struggles all the time. Give it to them within play. Yeah. You know, play with it and see how you get on because they're just trying to see. They're trying to get their own autonomy. They're trying to find their way in the world. So it's great that we can play with these different things. Um, so back to the play therapy. Sorry, I keep digressing. But uh, so the child plays. I track their play. I don't interrupt the play. I don't enter into the play unless they ask me to. Okay. So the first few sessions will often be me following them around going, oh, you really like that one. Oh, you're playing with that. Oh, look at that. And... That we do that a lot as parents, I suppose. We've got to take over and go, let's play it like this way. Bang, yeah. bang, bang. So that's not how we do it in play therapy um, at all. Unless we've built a relationship after a while and I'm going to try something with this child. Something's coming up and I'm going to just put in something. You know, yeah, like just if agitate it's, a little bit to see. If it's a child, I'm trying to think of an example, who maybe has a fear of men. Okay. Um, or something like that. So within the play, I will bring in a male figure in the small world play and see how they react to that within the safety of it to try and help them to repair whatever's going on on the inside mm-hmm. in their lived world. So we're trying to do through the play what's going on in the lived world so that they can feel more safe. Okay. And if you notice that your child it doesn't seem to have very many issues, but like the way that they play with something, like they're always, I don't know, killing their Lego men or they're always buried, you know, like there's their play is kind of violent or kind of a bit suspect. Is that a red flag or do some people, some kids just have like crazy imaginations and if there's no behavioural issue around it, it's not cause for alarm? Oh yeah, I don't think any that type of play is cause for alarm at all yeah. because it's just playing. Yeah. And but how is it just playing when they do it? We get into our perspective of like this is violent and you know, they're going to grow up. And be but if they were in your play therapy session and they were killing everyone and burying everyone. Oh yeah, I'd be going with that. Yeah, let's see what so they're trying to get out. I want to see. Oh, whoa, that's, whoa, that looks scary. You know, what's going on in this play? I'd be looking at, I'd be letting go of the violence of it and seeing what's underneath this now. Okay. Yeah, because it'll be something underneath there. But that's what I'm saying. Like if you notice that your child is doing it at home, mm-hmm. Should you be kind of probing that with a bit of curiosity or is it only in the play therapy space because of how you've set it up that the play is significant or is play always significant? Play is always significant. Um, But sometimes people get worried if they start that gun play and that violent type of play. They're only playing. It's probably something they've seen on the telly or something, Mm -hmm. you know. It's just a type of play that they have. Yes. Um, And that's absolutely okay. It's the same as playing with dollies or playing with whatever. It's imaginative which is great. And we want them to have imaginative play because that's really good for them to be able to get into their own little world and imagine and have that solitary time is brilliant. Independent play for children is fantastic. We don't always have to be playing with them at all. And how, so say then um, you notice you're tracking the child's play, you're not getting involved unless they ask and you notice that, say they have a fear of men, you introduce the man do you have to do, like, is there a lot of conscious work that has to be done to move the lesson from the play out of the play and get them to kind of cognitively know, okay, so like the Barbie is safe when Ken comes along, therefore I am safe when a man comes along? Or do you just kind of play and hope that they process that into their reality? No, through the play, it is the processing. So okay. it wouldn't have to be spoken. So you see that if a child has an issue in real life they tend to have it in their play too and once it's resolved in the play 
they can kind yeah, of... Yeah, if I see it coming up in the play, I'd be really happy to see it coming up in the play. And it wouldn't have to go conscious then. Okay. You'll generally see the change happening organically outside in the lived experience. In the lived experience, yeah. yeah. Um, and then for slightly older teenagers, do you see a lot of issues, coming back to what I was saying about Minister Donnelly, with smartphones, like accessing cyberbullying, pornography, is that coming up more and more in your older clients? Not hugely. There are issues and I think it is boundary issues and I would go through that with the parents. Like I do think there just needs to be boundaries on the phones, especially at home. Like I would find what's coming up for my adolescents, it's at night yeah, when they're in the beds and they're all in the group chats. And these big things are coming up. And then if they're not in the group chats, they feel like they're missing out. And mm-hmm. then there's different things being said. Or they might wake up to a load of messages and not know what's going on. And they could have been the brunt of it. And, and that's what's really hard. So I do think there needs to be limits around not bringing the phones into the bedrooms at night time. You know. But then are you saying that they wake up, they don't have the phone in the bedroom, they get it at breakfast. And then they've been the butt of some joke overnight and it's a big saga. I know it's what it's a very tricky one to Isn't master. It? Yeah, I'm so like I never cared about it until now. I have a child, and I'm like, oh, she's never having a phone. She's never. You ever. do feel like that. I just wish, and you know, Norma Foley is talking about potentially banning them for primary school. I'm like, please do it. Like, just take the power out of my hands. I know. So I that, think a lot of secondary schools are are. I know in the one at home now they have those pouches. You know, you get yes. like when you're going into it, a, a gig or an event. But that sort of just stops them using it during school. They still have it. And they still have access to it. Mm-hmm. And also, it's that impulse thing. Like, you know, if I, I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll just have a rule where all phones go into a box at nine o'clock at night and they're there overnight. But like, I couldn't I know. be with, like, I want to scroll on my phone in bed. I know. You know? I know. But you have to show by example. Like, I hate when Aurora catches me. Like, if I see me and Noel are there and Noel is on his phone and I see her looking at him but he's looking at his phone it just breaks my heart I'm like oh my god is this what we had a child for for her to like watch us not paying her attention and it's moment like it's fleeting but but we do it we do all it all the time because like my job is on my phone yeah. as well so I just have have to try and I'm saying try because I'm not saying that I do it all the time and just especially now that they're back at school when they're home from school the phone's the phone on the windowsill yeah and it's, you know, present. Yeah. My it's greatest achievement is like, I love the feeling of being like, oh my God, where's my phone? I don't know where it is. I haven't had it. And then you're like, oh, it's in the buggy since the morning nap, which is amazing. So she hasn't seen me on it. Yeah. But then you go and you have 15 emails for work and an email from the public health nurse and something about her vaccines. And it's like, oh my God, I can't do it all, you know? Yeah, it's everything. And then like, you know, my Tesco shop is on there, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting life stuff done want, on here as well. You want to say to the kids, like, I'm not just on TikTok. Like, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm I know. working. But it, I suppose it just needs to be, we have time. When we're not with them. Yeah, on the toilet. <laughs> on the toilet, exactly. It's a perfect time to do your Tesco shop. <laughs> um, okay, so that's so that's what you're seeing. So it's more about having boundaries it around is. the phone use. Like the, I read the article that came out yesterday and it's scary. Yeah. It's really scary. And it does make me think as well, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just not, they're never getting one. But you can't do that either. For people listening, the article was about... Sorry, yes. The, and the CyberSafe um, brought out an article. The data. Like the data from between 8 and 16 year olds. Um, and it's quite shocking, like about, 
how many of them talk to strangers online or have talked to them, how many have experienced bullying in one sense or another. Um, so it's an interesting one. But this information can really help us moving forward. How can we now make changes? Yeah. What can we do to try and protect the children? Um, and it does have to be something nationally as well, I think. Because you don't also want them to be that only child in the class who doesn't have the phone, who's left out of all the groups, who's... Absolutely. You absolutely but, don't want them to be that person either. Yeah. So, yeah, it. I don't have the answers. For sure. But it's something that you're, it's not, like the, the article was alarming, awareness. but it's not something that is, like you're not seeing an influx of. No. But do you think that you, you, but see, then you, you said see, you don't know eating it, disorders. Is this, you know, obviously, you know, body image. Like yeah. It's just like, ugh. for me, to mind a t- you know a teenage girl I was that teenage girl like mm-hmm. I had eating disorders and through all through my adolescence and my twenties and you know it was from images and things that and we only had magazines basically until yeah. until we were seventeen and we had the phones but they weren't the phones that we have now um, so it's scary it is scary times and do you think that you're seeing the eating disorders fr- in adolescence coming from from social media or you can't, you can't tell. Really tell exactly you know if it is something to do with eating it's a con- it's about control mm-hmm. and you need to get to the root of what that is that they're trying to control so desperately that they're not having control of in their world okay so that's where you're trying to get with the eating disorders but it's difficult like and it takes time yeah i mean we i know you know and it's always a recovery yeah, um, I've suffered with eating disorders myself and mm-hmm. as an adult in therapy, you're like, oh my God, this, you kind of have to, you know, there's, there is a house of cards that holds up an eating disorder and you have to like take one of those cards each, you know, there's like yeah. the body image, there's the control, mm-hmm. there's the hiding, uh, take them down one by one. It's a long process. Yeah, it really is. Um, so I have a lot of questions from mm-hmm. listeners. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we start answering questions? Um or maybe I'll ask you that at the end yeah. and we'll see. We may have touched on things. Just taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Rockwell Financial. Rockwell Wealth Management are amazing at extracting wealth from your business in a tax efficient way. Whether it's pensions, protection, investment, exit strategies, succession planning, anything like that, they are the ones to go to. They have a free one-to-one consultation for Basically listeners. So ring them up, tell them you listen to Basically and they will give you that offer of a free consultation. Rockwell Wealth Management. Go for it. Your heart works 24-7. So if you're worried about chest pain, palpitations or breathlessness, it's really reassuring to know that expert heart care works 24-7 too. The Matter Private Network in Dublin is the only private hospital in Ireland offering urgent cardiac care all day, every day. That's weekends, bank holidays, even through the night. It's a unique service for patients who are worried about their heart and want to be seen quickly by heart experts at one of Ireland's leading hospitals for cardiology care. If you're worried about your heart, remember this number, 1800 24 7 999. You'll speak directly to a cardiac specialist nurse at Matter Private and they'll talk to you about your symptoms. And if you need to come to hospital, you'll get a thorough cardiac assessment as soon as you arrive. If you need treatment or a procedure, the cardiology team will work out the most appropriate plan for you. Even if you need treatment the same day, this will be arranged immediately. For urgent cardiac care at Matter Private Network Dublin, call 1800 247 999 or visit matterprivate.ie for more information. 
Hello, my name is Dave Coffey and I'm the host of Phoning It In, the hilarious improvised phone-in show. It's like Joe Duffy's Liveline, except we make it all up on the spot. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 episodes featuring some of the best comedy performers in the country. People like Kevin McGahern, Alison Spittle, Killian Sunderman, Shane Dan Byrne, Joanne McNally, Michael Fry, Emma Doran, Peter McGann, Hannah Mamelis, Tony Cantwell and so many more. Join me, Dave Coffey, for phoning it in right here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. So this is, I know you can't answer things specifically, but this woman is asking about an eight-year-old girl who has anxiety around bedtime. How would you kind of approach that or what would you be looking for? What advice would you have? Okay, so bedtime is a really difficult time for children because it's they're leaving us and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel safe sometimes and it's dark. And I always ask parents to put themselves back in their little eight-year-old selves and like that fear is real yeah I used to be so scared at night time and I would it would literally be shaken with fear um so it's the time that they leave us so it's like trying to gradually get them to it so and helping them to understand that whatever thoughts are coming into their little heads at night time we can control those thoughts we can have power over them we can tell them to go away um one I like to use with my little ones is the five, four, three, two, one. You know, the grounding where we do five things you can see, four things, things you that you can touch, hear. and yeah. three things that you can hear, and two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. Because you're trying to bring you bring the child back to their senses mm-hmm. um, and help them to come out of whatever this big, scary feeling is. But validating that, you know, I know that you're scared and it is really hard and I wonder what you need. For an eight-year-old, you're going to be able to talk to her yes, about yeah. it. I wonder what you need me to do. And then if it's that they need them to lie in, okay, we can lie in for a while, then maybe we move a little bit further away, we move a little bit further away. But it can be a very slow process, depending on the level of anxiety that your child is experiencing. Um, can play therapy help with... Uh Bedwetting after a number of family bereavements with a boy age seven. Oh, poor little fella. Um, yes, absolutely. And like for bereavement, you know, that would, you know, play therapy is is brilliant for bereavement because it's really hard for children to, to process, process that. that as it is for you. Yeah. So, you know, give yourself a break. Um, and sometimes, again, what we think the child is thinking they may not be thinking at all. Mm-hmm. So it's really useful for them to have a space to try and work through that. Another question here. How exactly does play therapy work and how can it help autism? So I think we've talked about how it works. Yeah. Um, Do you work with I've worked with lots of autistic children um, and it's fabulous. Whether it's a child who has, you know, low sport needs or, or high sport needs, whatever it is. Or, yeah. you know, I've worked with children who are nonverbal and I've fantastic work from children who are nonverbal because it's not about talking. Mm-hmm. They don't come to us to talk and tell us all their woes and problems or anything like that. It's all through the playing and play is the language of the child. So it really works so well. So yes, I would definitely say yes. Um, I, it's funny, I play with Rory now and I'm autistic and I notice that like the way I play with her is I line up her animals. <laughs> and I'm like, this probably isn't very exciting for you. Like she wants to do other things. I'm like, I don't really know how to play, but she has her dad for that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she enjoys your play too. Oh, she does. And I stack the animals on top of each other and make towers and then she knocks them down and it's great. Yeah, that's loads um, fun. But yeah, I just noticed that our play is definitely different. Um, I have a five-year-old with terrible tantrums, screaming. I've tried lots. Would play therapy be worth trying? It's really affecting our family life. 
for that particular one, I would be reaching out for some parent support first. Okay. In my opinion. So you see, might be able to do it that you know, way. How can I empower you to, again, take a step back and see what's underneath these tantrums, how we can learn to be more responsive than reactive and help a child through this because it's really difficult. So I would be definitely reaching out for parent support first, seeing can we manage that initially. And those changes might help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of anger from my five-year-old who just started school. She's happy to go in, but I can't chat to her at all. Okay. Uh, anger is completely okay. Again, we have to remember that, you know, it's, it's absolutely fine to be angry. Um, it's how she's expressing it, I suppose. And with school, they often will not come out and tell us anything that's yeah. gone on in there. It can be really frustrating for us because we're like, what do they do? Who do they play Because up until they've gone to school, you know basically everything they've done, you every do. part of their life. Yeah, and it's it, it, I know sometimes I'd love to be a fly on the wall and just see what they're at in there. Um, and there's this thing as well called after school restraint collapse where, you know, they come out from school and it's literally that they've held in all day. They've been holding like, it together. Yeah, this, this happened and my mom wasn't there and this happened and my dad wasn't there and all these things I've had to sit down and, and do everything and I mightn't have liked my lunch and there's all this gone on. So they come out and we are their safe person and they just melt down. Yeah. And that's okay. I even noticed that Rory isn't even one yet. But like after the nanny is there for the day, she's like, oh, she was so good. She was so smiley all day. And then she'll be like a oh, yeah. wagon for me. She's like, where were you? Where were you? You left I me. I wanted you for things and you weren't there. I was fine for that other lady. But now you're back. You're yeah. getting it. Um, is play therapy only useful for children with specific difficulties in their lives? Or are there benefits to other children with no known difficulties? And do you have any ideas how to incorporate play therapy or play at home? Um, so like I, I wouldn't, in my opinion, I don't think there's a need to send a child for therapy unless they have some presenting issues. issues. Yeah. Um, and just open the connection, you know, open the touch, you know, touch is as important for water for as water for us all. Yeah. Um, special playtime where you give them your undivided attention. You can follow their lead in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, just connection works wonders for children. And we often think we're present and we're not like that with the phones. You think, you, think, you know, I sat with you all day. I am with this child. Yeah. All day, every day. But are you really? Yeah. Are you actually with them or are, you, are they just there? Yeah. Um, so even like five, ten minutes of uninterrupted play, um, there's loads of research on this, can work wonders for self-esteem and for building up children. So just even try and incorporate that because that's not too much pressure either because I know parents are so busy. Yeah. And we're thinking, oh, do I have to sit down and play with this child for hours every day? No. But you're absolutely. after 10 minutes of your undivided attention, they're probably bored of you anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, can a child finish 12 sessions and be much happier and have less anxiety? Oh, <laughs> that's a big question. And basically, how long does, um, do you, does it take to see results? No, more than anything, I suppose, Stephanie, it depends on the child and it depends on how they get on at the therapy do they build relationship with me is the first really important thing um, and if they're not building relationship with me or they don't feel a connection with me I would be saying to the parents you know no more than finding your own therapist we, we might be the right fit so you might need to go somewhere else to mm -hmm. someone who might connect with your child better or they might feel more safe with um, so I would always say you know we'll start off with six sessions we'll review we'll go again and then it just is very dependent but I have seen amazing results in six or 12 sessions and a child really become a much happier in their lived experience. And sometimes what I find is that 
just the fact that they're being brought, that their parent has gone, do you know what? I think they need something else. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to, you know, see, can we get them some support? And it's always about them trying to be their happiest selves. Um, And even that, and sometimes the story is so powerful that they can leave going, wow, you know, mommy really cares. And the story can be really emotive at times. You know, often Mm -hmm. parents will cry during the story, just thinking back on when they are born and how much you love them and how you really just want to get back to that connection. So, yeah, you can get great results in, in short time, but it's not about fixing either you know it's about giving them the space and we do believe that the child will bring whatever they need to bring in their own time how can i encourage my daughter to do after school activities she loves ballet but she's scared of doing a class uh it's dep- it's very dependent on the age as well and i would be following their lead um my little fella wasn't hectic on the after school activities until this year and i just had to leave until wait he's seven now since may and he just didn't want to go and I had to go, okay, we'll just wait. The other one, I'd go to the opening of an envelope, uh, everything. But it, again, it's temperament. So, And you can encourage them with friends or find something that they're really interested in or maybe that you go and you stay for a while and get them settled. My little one started piano yesterday and I stayed for the lesson she wanted me to, but she really wanted to do it and you know it'll get better as the weeks go on. So just meet them where they're at and see, can you do a little gradual exposure to, to new things? Because it's scary. Um a couple of practical questions then. Mm-hmm. How many children would you see in a week? How long is a session? Um, at the moment, because my work is so diverse, I only take on a very small amount of clients mm-hmm. because I feel that I can give my best as a therapist. So at the moment, I only see five children right, okay. um, in the mornings, every morning. Um, and because I do so much other parent support work and webinars and all sorts of things, and I also want to be a mother... Um, but it's very dependent on the therapist. Some p- therapists, I think, see maybe 20. Okay. Um, so it depends on your practice. And is and a session an a hour? A session or is 50 minutes 50 generally. Minutes. Yeah. Um, what qualifications should I look for in a play therapist? I think that's so, an important question. Oh, yeah, really important. So if you're looking for a therapist, you need to check out the IAPTP website or the IAHIP website. And that's where you'll find relevant therapists in your area that have the sufficient training. Um, so that's really important, yeah, to check that Just out. Just for safety. Um, in the private sector, how much is play therapy per session? It's dependent on where you are. So anything from 50 to uh, probably to, I think, in Dublin, I don't know. It could be anything up to 80, 90, I'm not sure. It could probably be up to like It probably could be because yeah. you got all your rent and your fees and all of that kind of thing to think about then as well, so... We have people here saying, not a question, but play therapy is absolutely amazing. Every child should have access to it in the early years. Um, That's a really nice comment to hear. Does play therapy help a child to learn how to play? Do children not inherently know how to play? Some children don't, I suppose. But there's a lot of work you can do with that at home around modelling play for them. Um, But is it that they don't know how to play or what you think play looks like is not what they do? Do you know what I mean? Like Rory empties the cupboards. And That's play. She loves it. Yeah. But I wouldn't consider it like it's not in a textbook of like play, you know? Now it's I can game it. Yeah. So. That's play, especially for a one year old. Like there's all different types and stages of play. So like there's like a, like onlooker play I love. And this is where 
I love onlooker play myself. Do you know when you're like sitting around and you like people watch and you yeah. see what other people are doing? She loves that in the park. Children love to watch other children yeah. play. And that's the type of play, I like that's the stage of play that you do. With kids climbing things and walking because yeah. she's not there yet and she's just, I can see yeah. her brain being like, how do they do that? Yeah, that's onlooker play. Like it's yeah. brilliant. And like creative play we sometimes forget about as well when they're colouring, when they're drawing, when they're, you know, building and knocking things over. This is all playing. It doesn't have to be that they're sitting down with small world figures and going poof, poof, poof. yeah, my daughter never did that Yeah, never did that type of play my little fella did it for hours and hours and hours and hours I never did so it either there, no like, I was never a small world player we either. had a mum got me like this Sylvanian families thing Santa brought loads of Sylvanian families and I used to just tidy the house and yeah. then like if people came to my house and played with them and Love moved it. them I would lose my life but like I never, ever had two small figures talking to each other, you know? Me like, neither. Sure, they can talk. That this wasn't my type of play. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't fun for me. Yeah. I'd be like you, I would have tidied the house yeah. and got it all set up. But that's the type of play too, because you know you're organising all your bits and pieces and you're yeah. getting them all set up and you want them, putting them the way you want them to be. Um, three-year-old having lots of tantrums. Have seen a play therapist. Family want to support him and us. Any ideas in how the family can support us? Oh, um, I suppose validate, validate, try and keep the calm as much as possible. Try not to focus on, on the, the negative behaviours. Yeah. And we do that a lot and we don't realise that well, we do. I guess they're causing a problem. And Yeah, so, you know, someone will come in and be like, how are things today? And you'll be like, disaster. But they can hear us. So with, yeah. for a three-year-old especially, especially, I would be finding the positives in that three-year-old's day every single day. I would be talking to teddies about them. <gasps> did you see what he did with that teddy? Oh, teddy, can you see what he's doing here? It's absolutely amazing. Wow, because they will, they will get and crave connection or attention from whatever is getting them it. Okay. So if we're constantly like bold, bad, tantrums, all this, that's I'm internalising, that's me. Yeah. That's my role in the world and that's what I'm going to show you and I'm going to show it big, really big, especially in a three-year-old. This is the last question then. Is there ever trauma from a C-section that babies need therapy for? Uh, yeah, birth trauma is really common. Yeah. And how does that matter? Like, how would you know? Well, I suppose you get the story and you, you find out what's gone on and then you see what happens in the play. Okay, so, yeah. but would it manifest, like, does birth trauma manifest in a specific way that's quite common? Or, and and what age? Yeah, it's totally child dependent. Right, okay. Yeah, so it's very hard to say. But we'd always find out what went on. Okay. Um, pregnancy, birth, delivery, really important. Um, and then go from there and see, is it something that comes up? And sometimes, again, we'll think it's something that might be cause an issue and that mightn't be the root of the issue at all. That's wild. Like how can a child know that they came out of a C-section? Like They don't know. They don't But their know. body remembers okay. this trauma of, of just being something. briefed out of the uterus but before they were ready. Their their mind doesn't remember. Okay. Like you like we don't remember being born if you know if you do, I don't know. <laughs> you must be brilliant. I can barely remember anything. Um so yeah, no, it's the body that remembers. So it'll be a lot of body work. Like for a trauma, um, it's all held in the body. So it might be a lot of body work, a lot of swinging, a lot of bouncing, a lot of, you know, getting those big feelings out through, you know, sensory regulation of the hidden sensory systems. That would be a lot of the play we'd see with, with children who have experienced trauma. And then do you recommend, like, like, would you say to a parent, 
okay, so this is what we did this week and I recommend that you do a lot of like bouncing. Like, do you recommend play for them to do in between sessions? Yeah, so if if it's a child that is, you know, showing a lot of dysregulation at home, I'd definitely be giving tools and tips yes. to try and help them to get these big feelings out um, rather than trying to stop them. Okay. Because children are amazing. They're they're born with this innate ability to know what they need. And sometimes what they need is that jumping off couches onto the floor and we're like, stop, no, you can't do this, too but dangerous. They need that but they input. need it. How can we provide it in a way that's safe? Okay. Um and especially even nighttime things, sometimes we need, you know, we all need this calm, chill night. But there's loads of research to say that actually belly laughing before bed, you know, big sensory input before bed. I would often lie on my son and give him deep you pressure, know, yeah. like deep pressure or do it with his feet before mm-hmm. bed. And that's what helps him to calm. Whereas my daughter does need the calm and the reading yes. and all that chill. So it's so dependent on the child that you have. I love the blanket swing at night, actually, if you have... If you have two uh, parents there, then put them in the blanket and swing them back and forth before they go into bed. That's super regulating because it's bringing back that rhythm. Um, And rhythm is regulating. This Dr. Bruce Perry says like patterned rhythmic somatosensory activity is just fantastic to help regulate the body because we're rhythmic. And when we were in the womb, that was what we felt. Even when they're small, like you rock them. Absolutely. Nobody in the world has ever picked up a baby and gone. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, child. Yeah. You know, you rock them, you sing to them, you move them. straight away. And often they need that again, but it's harder to do when they're bigger, obviously. Of so course, we come yeah. up with new ways. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you think that we have missed that people should know about play therapy? And if not, where can they find you for more information? Um, if you're wondering or if you're struggling with anything, contact someone. Mm-hmm. No, even for a parent support session and just say, look, at, can we have a chat? There's lots going on for me here. I wonder, could you help me? Or to see, is play therapy the right intervention for right now? Because there's so many pre- pre-therapy conditions that I need met before I would even take the child on. You know, the whole family needs to be ready for this because it is a big commitment. Um, you know, it takes time. You know, you have to commit to the sessions every week. It's expensive as well. So all of those have to be met before you would... Um, take on the child for therapy even. So when you reach out... So what out, happens in a situation where maybe parents are living in separate houses and one of the parents is like, this is not necessary, our child does not have an issue. And the other parent is like, okay, they clearly do and I live with them all the time. Yeah, see, would you well, take I would them? need consent from both okay. parents in order to, to take on the child. So yeah, it is. Yeah. And that can be a really difficult situation. But... Um, we do need consent from both parents if they are both legal guardians of the child, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, reach out and, you know, there's lots of information that you can find, like, on my page. I give lots of advice for parents. Yeah, it's great, definitely. Um, following Debbie. And again, take what you need from it. You know, I do think, you know, there's all this parenting style. Are you gentle? Are you respectful? Are you a thought I don't even know what they are. Parenting is personal to you mm-hmm. and your child. You can find advice and take from what you need. Try it out and see, does it work for you? Mm-hmm. Because it is a connection between you and your child. So it's going to be different. Exactly. There's no else. one size fits all yeah. um, at all. But I have lots of webinars. I've one coming up actually for parents of primary school children from conflict to connection, um, navigating challenging behaviour, where I hope to empower people. Um, and just, it's a 90 minute webinar, give lots of tools and strategies that you can go through um, at home before, and try them out and see. 
So if people are interested in that webinar, where can they find so it? So on my Instagram, Cullinane underscore, the links will be in my bio and there's loads of other ones there. Great. And we will put Debbie's Instagram handle on the podcast notes of this. So if you're listening to this, it is there. And if you're listening to this not in real time, you're listening to it a few months on, she probably has more webinars coming up. Yes, so definitely check exactly. it out. exactly. And the playbacks are always there anyway. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That is Debbie Cullinane, child and adolescent psychotherapist. And that is another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. We are produced by Hilary Barry and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.